Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Happiness in Humans. My name is Matt Phelan, I'm co-founder of the Happiness Index and I'm here with the amazing Hannah Litt. How are you Hannah? I'm good, thank you. How are Hannah, you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, thanks for, I know you're very busy, so thank you for, for, for taking some time um, to do this, this research interview about um, happiness and engagement. Hannah, um, rather than me reading out your LinkedIn bio, how, how, how would you describe yourself and, and, and what you do and who you are? So, um, obviously, my name is Hannah Litt. Uh, I am a intersectional South Asian Muslim neurodiverse woman with hidden disabilities, and I work in technology um, in uh, within anti-racism, uh, EDIA, um, keynote speaker, uh, social justice activist. Um, I just want to make the world a better place, I guess. Um, so yeah, I do loads of different things, um, but yeah, um, and I speak a lot. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> and uh, we always ask our, our our guests to explain acronyms as well. So you said EDIA. Can you just, yeah. um, for those that don't know what that is, can you just take us through that? Yeah. Equity, diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Hannah. And um, you talked about wanting to make the world a better place. Um, what, 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 what's your why behind that? Like, what drives you to want to do that? Yeah, everyone asks about my why. Um, I think without kind of going into a history lesson about me, um, growing up, I realised that things just didn't make sense from a really young age. And I think it stemmed down to medical inequities. Um, when I lost my aunt at a really young age, I faced racism from a really young age. And when you're little, it just doesn't make sense. Um, now you, I realise it's systemic racism. Um, so I always used to ask why. Um, so as I've grown up, I don't have children myself, but I have nieces and nephews. And... Um, I never want to be in a place where they ask me, well, you know, when, when they learn about this in history lessons or when I have children, they, they ask me, well, what did you do? And I say nothing. So I have to be part of the solution. And this is my way of doing it. So whether that be in my community, whether that be in the workplace, I can't just be a bystander that doesn't do anything to be part of a solution. I don't believe that it will be solved in my time. But if it means I have to pass the baton on, then that's what I have to do. But yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I mean that. I mean that is inspirational for all of us, and for, I would recommend following Hannah on LinkedIn. I, I've learned a lot, everything from understanding pronouns differently through to some of the stuff that that Hannah's supporting and, and and advocating for. So definitely follow Hannah on LinkedIn. That's my recommendation. Um, so so Hannah, we're here. This is a research interview for um, the, our new book out called The Happiness Index, um, and we talked about it takes the the data. And it looks at the top eight drivers of employee engagement and employee happiness. I think we have the most interesting one to talk to about all of them, of of the eight, um, personally, which is freedom. Um, and I think it's so interesting when you link it back to your why as well, um, and freedom, and those that have it, and those that don't, and those that have more of it than others. Um, so freedom is a top four driver of happiness within freedom. We, we we then drill down even further because we are proper geeks to look at even deeper about what drives freedom. And in there we have authenticity, autonomy and acceptance. So I've asked Hannah on today um, to talk about acceptance 
But before we drill down into acceptance, what, what does freedom, um, and I'll frame it in work, what, what does freedom at work mean to you, Hannah? Um, it's exactly what you just said, is actually who is the freedom afforded to? Because I think the first thing you said, when you said that, I was like, it made me think is actually, have I actually had the freedom to ever just be authentic? Yeah. Um, and now in the organisation that I'm in now, um, I think I have. But that in itself has thrown me hugely um, because I've actually now got the, and it has disorientated me massively to the point where I'm like, whoa, this is weird. So if you speak to anybody in the organisation that I'm in now, if you describe, if, any, if anybody says, what's it like to work where I work now? probably the one word that we'll all use is weird uh, in a good way because yeah. we've never actually had the freedom um, or the ability to just be who we are um, mm. which is huge because a lot of us are like in our 30s 40s 60s um, and to actually have gone through that our whole lives and never had the freedom to just be who we are and show up in the way that we are put our well-being first and um, being conditioned to not take sick days um it's huge so i yeah. think the first thing that kind of when you said that was actually like have we ever had the freedom to just show up um, wow. just be authentic the reality is probably no we were talking about code switching um all of that kind of good stuff no, who's that afforded to who actually can yeah. just be authentic and who who just has the freedom to just show up yeah. was i think the first thing that kind of came to my mind and because that organisation sounds so incredible, we have to do a little name check because you talk about Mindweaver. Mindweaver, yeah. 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 And for those that, that don't know what, what, what Mindweaver do, can you just share that? So um, we are, I guess we're, we're trying to create utopia. So Mindweaver, a technology organisation um, that essentially um, are giving opportunities to people from underrepresented uh, communities that have and what we do is um we i guess it's we're an anti-racism organization within technology because we 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 know that there is the the there's so many opportunities um within tech for people that are black and brown essentially and all the intersections that come with that but we also know that tech can cause the most amount of harm Right. So who is who is in those spaces? Uh, but what we do is we take away the barriers that are in places um, that are essentially barriers that have been put in place by white supremacy. Um, so you take away those barriers and you put people uh, you, you you look after people's well-being. You we the senior leadership team that are in place and the people that are in the HQ there are creating an organization that we all just wish that we'd had um, and that we needed um and it's great um so we have you know we all have a, a thread of activism our activism does it all the same i'm the one with the placard um but 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 we are just creating an organization that is um safe and it doesn't mean that when you walk in the door you are immediately safe because you know you've come from organizations that you weren't safe at for for a really long time yeah. and we talk about 
our well-being we talk about trauma we we openly talk about trauma and how that impacts us and we've never had that before so we're just trying to create something that is quite special but also impact our clients that we work with as well so it's not just this one organization that's safe it's almost like a domino effect as well so we're just trying to create something that what it should be like i guess yeah that's incredible it's incredible to hear hear these stories hannah i think also i don't know if you saw this morning um there was an article actually it was yesterday i'll just i just fact check myself <laughs> but the um the guardian did an article um on on a sub a subsection of this um subject actually to talk about that freedom point i'll just read out for our listeners the work from home revolution is here to stay if you're rich white and live in london um so the article effectively goes on to say, and if we just reframe it as freedom for a second, yeah. that that ability to work from home when you want is 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 almost an exclusive right. So, and any any thoughts on that on on that at all? And I don't I, I didn't send you that article before because I'm I'm a really bad interviewer, so I don't know if you read it or not. But um, <laughs> any any thoughts on that headline? I, did, I didn't read it, and the just tell, tell me that article heading again so it's very straight to the point the work from home revolution is here to stay if you're rich white and live in london so long story short if you're in lower paid jobs you're not likely to be afforded the privilege of working from home and that flexibility and freedom that that brings yeah i get i guess that's that's it's flip-sided isn't it yes that's true but also it's because is it is that because they're in those jobs but is that because the opportunities are not open to them and i guess that's one thing we talk about in mind but when we look at the 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 talent that we've got in tech for example so when you look at the the diversity of people in tech when you're looking at the if we take ethnicity for example because that's where we focus they're normally the people that you've got that are in your IT support roles, where they are the ones that have to be in the office because they are, you know, pulling the the white. I'm not, I'm not, although I work for a tech company, I'm not techie. I'm just going to caveat that. But the ones that are messing with the wires and the IT support when there is so much more that they can be doing, but because of the barriers. That, so that's what we're trying to do, because actually all of our teams work from home um because we we've managed to take away the barriers and give them the training and the development when you look at things like boot camps for example they are a really high cost um but also the ones that are free you need to be um out of work for example for 12 weeks to to go on those boot camps who can actually afford to that comes with a level of privilege i can't be off work for 12 weeks i have bills to pay um whereas mind we've we fund that we fund those so actually who it uh, agreed do you know what i mean like so actually where are the opportunities for people to step out of those lower paid roles yeah. to be able to take that that you know we we recognize that mind me that there's a lot of generational wealth to be gained in industries that are so where are we giving those opportunities to people that are in those lower paid roles so yes it's right however where are we taking that step change to open up the open up the doors yeah i love that like what well, yeah what are we doing and what are we change into to yeah because we can talk about it all day long, but is there is there any actual changes that are happening yeah. to 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 change that? Because, um, for example, yeah, people with disabilities working from home. I I can I if somebody asked me to go into an office every day, I couldn't work for you. Yeah, I, I can't I can't not work from home. Like, yeah. I can't I have disabilities. I can't do it. So there is there is 
it's not just an element of privilege it's it's a necessity for some people as well people need to be able to work from home one of the things that strikes me, and we did a, a similar um, webinar on this probably an hour, probably a year ago or something, Hannah, maybe even two years ago, that one of the things that I've sort of learned over the last couple of years is that when you make these changes, that they they actually help everyone. Like all the things that yeah. we talk about, like it, it, if you make a change because um, it helps people that are neurodiverse, as an example, yeah, it doesn't mean... <laughs> That's a problem for everyone else. That that inclusivity is great for everyone. It's like like it's not like then it excludes another group. Like that's that's one of the other things that I've taken from some of the stuff that I've seen you write and talk about. Yeah, it's um, I always say it's not pie. You know, if you do, if you give something to someone else, it doesn't mean that there's less for someone else. It's not pie. It's um, generally when you you know things like um, that you things that you put in place for people that are neurodivergent for example like having an agenda or sending out the points after a meeting that help you that kind of helps everyone <laughs> why would yeah. you not do it yeah it's yeah. um i love that and yeah. um, hannah so let's let's drill down it into acceptance what, yeah. what does it um i suppose let's start with why and then we're going to what why why is acceptance important in work um it's fun like work outside of work if you're not if you don't feel accepted um you know if you think about a relationship that you're in if you don't feel accepted it's fundamental is fundamentally part of who you are right if you don't yeah. you're questioning who you are you don't feel validated you don't feel you're good enough you don't it impacts your well-being yeah do you know what I mean? like so if you're not feeling accepted you're not feeling you what's the opposite of not feeling accepted right it's it's yeah. just not a good state to be in for your well-being um you're constantly trying to prove yourself you're burning yourself out you are um, and I, th I think we've all been there we've all been yeah. there unfortunately some of us have probably been there more than we'd like to uh, to admit the more that we'd like to you know that we've probably even realized some of us have probably been in that constant state that actually that then becomes the norm yeah. so the acceptance and actually the i think the most important thing is is that we put the onus on ourselves to be accepted yeah but actually the onus isn't in ourselves it's it's the onus of with the organization to ensure they're creating an environment for acceptance yeah um, and i think that's where it needs to flip that actually that the onus isn't on ourselves to be accepted is to be in an environment where that is the norm yeah. where you are accepted regardless of who you are um, yeah. and that needs to change because that's where we're creating um cultures of toxic work cultures burnout cultures um where the onus seems to be on the individual yeah. to conform to code switch to be people that they're not to come in put the mask on microaggressions all that kind of stuff yeah uh, it needs to flip where actually the, the, the culture needs to be a culture of acceptance. I even find it crazy that we need to, and you're right to it, to to say that we need to flip. But even when you flip it round, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? Because yeah. if you've taken the time and effort, like we all know how long it takes to recruit someone. Yeah. We know how long it takes to onboard them. We know how costly it is if someone leaves. We know how if someone isn't feeling happy at work, that that will translate into customers and colleagues. We know that there's a that, that, that not feeling accepted impacts others around us. So when you flip it, like it becomes so obvious, doesn't it? Because you would, why, yeah. why would you want to be paying for someone 
that you're not creating the right conditions for them. It seems crazy once you actually flip it. So it's such a powerful way of doing it, Hannah, isn't it? And I mean, I used to have a, a you know, this used to be my pet, I guess, I'm not going to say arguments, but um, where, you know, people say, but then they're not the cultural fit or, and it's not about cultural fit. It's about cultural ad. And, you know, it's not about having somebody come in. Yeah, but we need someone different. We need someone that's going to come in, bring new idea. And as soon as that person comes in, and they're not exactly the same as everybody else and they don't conform to the idea and they might bring new ideas in that you know might rock the boat yeah they'll, they'll still be respectful but because they're not the same they're not accepted yeah um because of that you know they you they, they're not accepted things become difficult for them and eventually they'll leave they're not listened to they're not heard they're not validated and then they'll leave or their well-being suffers and because yeah. you wanted something different to begin yeah. with. That was a brief that you put out there that you wanted someone different. You wanted someone that's going to bring new ideas, something different, something, you know, that was different to your team that you had. And yeah. eventually that person that you said you wanted is the person that ends up suffering because they've come in and done what you asked for. Yeah. Um, and that person is impacted. And then there's no onus on the person that asked for that person in the first place. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I see happen a lot in organisations. Yeah, it's it is yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Because people can often see, and we always talk about the difference between the heart and the brain. They they can their brain can like think about what they want to happen in their organisation, but sometimes when it starts happening, it it change feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? Wh yeah. Whatever wherever you are, and then sometimes people push back against that change because it feels uncomfortable even though we know sometimes that's part of growth, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Anyone, anyone who had growing pains in their legs growing up or, or any part of their body knows that it's yeah. uncomfortable, but it is leading to something. It is. And I think that the, the, I think the, the bit that was, I am an empath, but I think, you know, when you see it happening to people, it's really hard to watch because although, you know, your change is uncomfortable and you didn't want to do that and, you know, it's your growing pains, that's everlasting damage that is going to sit, sit with somebody for, you know, they then have to deal with that trauma afterwards, um, yeah. which isn't fair because you've, you know, you weren't ready for that change. So yeah. then that impacts with someone's trauma that, that's going to live with them, that they're probably going to have to seek therapy for because you put them in that role that you weren't ready to hear them talk about racism or, you know, you decided you wanted somebody to come in and look after Edie and I, or but actually, you know, you weren't ready for that or yeah. whatever it was um, because of change. That's, it's really, really important from a acceptance point of view, from a change point of view that you people were do the right thing. And yeah, from, uh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I get it. One of my, one of my sort of like annoyances in this area at the moment is, is the labeling of people of either you, see, you hear it all the time someone says oh this person's toxic or this person's a mood hoover or this person's negative yeah. and it's it's increasingly started to frustrate me over the years because before anyone labels anyone else you need to check the toxicity of your own culture because you can get someone that may be labeled as toxic but where is that toxicity coming from it may be coming from the environment that you've created so before you label anyone <laughs> i think it's so important that you look at your own culture and so on beforehand otherwise you, you could end up putting a label on someone that's just a complete 
complete wrong thing. Any any thoughts on that, Hannah? Absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. So when I joined uh, Mindweaver, I my team I joined before my team, and I set myself. So my team, when they joined, the only objective they had was to get their head around the organisation. You know, get to know what the objective sat with me. So my objective was to ensure that they felt safe, that they could be them, that they, you know, and I, I totally acknowledge that no one is going to feel safe in two months or three months. Like they, they, it may take them 10 years to feel safe. There is no time scale on but the objective sits with me, um, not them. You know, the onus is not on them to feel safe. The, the onus on them is not to feel psychologically. It's on me. I need to do the work to make sure that I am creating the best possible environment for my team and not even just my team the, the wider organization because i look after edia i look after well-being i look that that sits with me that's my my role and and the senior leadership's team role to create you know if this if it is if someone is a mood hoover or feeling toxic then i need to look at what part i play in that right so is this environment not the right environment for them what is going on in their lives what is going on because people don't just act that way for no reason there is always an underlying problem sometimes people just start but very very rarely will you find there is something you know we don't know what I find really really strange is that people want to tell people to bring their whole selves to work over COVID everyone was on a screen we saw people's families we saw people were carers we saw people's dogs cats children you know, we everyone brought everything onto their screens, and then we want to tell everyone to bring their whole selves to work. But no, not not that. Do you know what I mean? Like not that. So if you're a mood hoover, we don't want to know about that. We don't want to know what's going on in your life. We don't want to know that you might be a carer to your siblings. We don't want to know that you might be a carer to your children. People have lives outside of yeah. work, and people have a lot going on. Um, so if you want them to bring their whole selves to work, then you need to support them. Um, and we are not just one thing we are a lot of things outside of work and people have a lot going on so it's really important that we support them because people just are not inherently bad people Um, some people are I'm not gonna lie like some people some people are Um, but it's really important that I couldn't personally just write people off without understanding why the why I was thinking yeah I was thinking this you always have to park the psychopaths and the sociopaths over here yeah yeah because that may there may be examples of that but the majority of people are not yeah so what is because we had on this on this podcast we had um, professor jeremy dawson who did the biggest ever research into employee engagement and long story short they found in the nhs that if you're um unhappy at work a hospital has unhappier employees than another hospital the death rate and mortality rate goes up and i asked um i asked jeremy what was the biggest surprise in the data and they also found if there's higher levels of discrimination um in the nhs you actually have unhappier employees and you have a higher mortality and death rate so it's just linking those two points up sometimes people can't believe that these two points are together happiness and discrimination but if we go back to the mood hoover perspective if me matt or you hannah being discriminated against at work is going to impact your mood of course it is it's not not rocket science is it that particular part even though we did need i personally needed a professor to come on and explain the link but 
uh, sometimes when you then hear the data it all becomes really obvious doesn't it but people might not even know that they're and, and i think this is because it's so systemic and it's been going on for so long people might not even know they're being discriminated. i know it sounds really silly but you might not even know you're being discriminated against you might just not you might just know that you're not happy do you know what i mean like you might just know that you're not feeling you're exhausted more you're just not feeling the way you should be you might not even be able to pinpoint what it is you just know that you need you feel like you need to work harder you feel like you're tired you feel like you you can't even pinpoint because sometimes it's so insidious it's so the gaslighting is so that you just you can't even I know that I've come out of an organization where I am now somewhere where is good where I'm like oh that wasn't normal that wasn't okay that was where you know and I like to think that I'm quite self-aware so there is things that even I wasn't aware that was not okay so some people won't even know that they are going through things they'll just know that they're they're you know at times I probably was a mood hoover I'm not gonna lie yeah. but I just wasn't okay like my my, my well-being just wasn't okay yeah. so it's really important that we understand that people's well-being will be impacted in a way that they don't even realize that it's being impacted because it's so it becomes the norm yeah. it becomes that, that, that we we normalize things so much yeah that that becomes our norm but it's not okay yeah i think that is that reminds me of a, a story kevin with fame told on this podcast so i always have to declare that i'm related to kevin that i, was, <laughs> I always think if you're related to someone you should declare it but um kevin shared a story i was quite shocked considering um that he's part of my family that as a black man in the uk when he goes into a pub he's looking always looking where the exits are in case things kick off so yeah. and that's what white privilege is isn't it partly like i that is white privilege because that is not something i've had to do before so but when he but when he told me that going back to your point there you may not it, kevin may not even be aware of how much energy that he is processing every time that he is in a pub because he's done that his whole life and that is normal Whereas I don't need to do that um, yeah. in for many different reasons. So that is going to impact your energy levels, which ultimately could impact your mood. So if you take that over a whole lifetime, picking apart all that kind of stuff is really important. Any any thoughts on that, Hannah? No, you're absolutely right. So um, it was really interesting because I was because I I'm uh, I, I I go to protests, but go into a protest I always make sure wherever we go I stand next to my car um and I will always stand away from the police and there is always certain things that we will do but if, if I'm going through um anybody that follows me on LinkedIn will know I'm going through an ADHD process at the moment but navigating through the the NHS at the moment and the private system at the moment again with my race um the, the way I've had to navigate through that and I spoke to other people that haven't had to navigate the way that I have had to navigate through the, the the system, but I've also been, and then I just wonder through how organisations supporting. And I I saw that actually, people with ADHD only four percent of people with ADHD are actually on medication. So how many people are navigating through the workplace, through systems, through institutions, etc. That are with no support, with no medication, with no support, just just navigating through when yeah. only four percent of the people there, there's I think there's two points. Don't quote me on this because I might be wrong. <laughs> but 
2.8 billion people with ADHD alone in this country, and only 4% of people are getting the medication um, due to lack of funds because of, of, of being able to pay for it privately, etc. So having to expend energy that you don't even realise that you are expending on stuff, yeah, it's normalised. It's it's you know I go to Aldi and we have a prolific racist at Aldi on one of our aisles. <laughs> it's always on the middle aisle. So now I go because if I go, he'll throw the shopping at me. Um, so I just we just now so that means that we don't go to if he's there we just don't go on that aisle. Yeah. Um, otherwise we'd have to go and spend more at another supermarket or so we go and we stand in a longer aisle generally. If, if yeah. you know, so you just you just there's things that you just navigate your life through knowing that actually this is just the way it is but you're you're either masking you're you're navigating your way through i also i don't go to pubs anymore because of experiences i've had i try and if it, unless it's a daytime and i'm going for lunch or something i don't go yeah. um but i i'm always conscious of, of an exit <laughs> of where i yeah. am you know I, if the football is on i will not generally leave my house um, because of experiences I've had. If there is bunting, you will know where. Like, if there's England bunting on a pub, no way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Why don't we go to the toilet in there? Not happening. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's all these things that we just have to think about that, you know, people that haven't had the experiences that we have, don't have to think about. And, and I suppose that's, Hannah, exactly there where you talked about ADHD and skin colour was a really effective way of talking. Again, like Shireen Daniels, um did a post this morning talking about anti-racism and she was talking about how one of the because i've always been a big fan of john amici's uh quote about it which is white privilege doesn't mean you haven't had a hard life it just means Absolutely. you haven't had a hard life because of the color of your skin yeah. and shireen was just talking about how she shares a similar story but people still like want to argue back to say i've had a hard life even though you acknowledge yeah. that and i think the talk of adhd there and race is a really interesting one isn't it because that's a just picking apart these stories from race like kevin has shared and you've just shared about pubs makes yeah. that, that to me that story makes that accessible to everyone whatever color of your skin because then suddenly if you talk about adhd you can talk about every single one of us has got stuff that's taken up energy that we need to unpick and obviously there's some ones like racism that we need to start with and we need to work on but there's no downside to working on that stuff in my opinion because the more you unpick these serious issues you start to realize other things that could be impacting other people which i suppose it brings back to the point of acceptance again yeah. if you if you i'm just going to create a fictional company 500 employees you're you're the ceo hannah and if you got your happiness index report back and it said things it gives you a whole spectrum but it says acceptance is low employees are struggling to feel accepted here when they join have you got any thoughts on where you might start if you were the ceo of that organization to to help addressing and help improve that i think the first thing is speaking to them and understand that so i don't think enough organizations are transparent enough so um talking to them and understanding so one thing i'm really reluctant to do is just you have your baseline of things that you do without a doubt but speaking to people that are impacted by we are not the same that's really really important so for me i have hidden disabilities i have adhd i've you know you name it i've, I've kind of 
I, I just got really raw end of the deal with stuff here. Um, so I'm impacted by several different things. But so my needs will be very different to, to your needs, for example, Matt. Yeah. So it's just understanding what people's needs are and do what you say you're going to do, right? Um, and be kind with it, right? Yeah. Be kind with it and, and validate people. That's that's. So I think a lot of organisations are really, really big on policies are really important. I think policies are really important. And they're yeah. very big on their their statements and all of that kind of stuff. But actually, where where the real important stuff is is actually those conversations, validation, and doing what you say you're going to do at a really kind of granular yeah. level. Like yeah. caring costs nothing. Yeah. <laughs> caring costs, and you don't even have to be an expert to to really care about somebody and validate and share your experiences. That's that's the bit that's really really important, right? Um, to really kind of really care and do what you need to do and understand each person is individual and what they need yeah um, so i'm going to try and can i just try and recap that for our listeners hannah which yeah. start the conversation yeah do something about the stuff you hear about write it down in a policy yes <laughs> yeah and the whole process of caring doesn't cost anything anyway yeah. so no, there's no barrier there is there there's no, no why this isn't like i blame I shouldn't blame Google for everything, but I do blame Google for a lot of things around the office and culture because I think they set a bit of a precedent with their like funky offices in like the early 2000s and stuff. Everyone thought a cool office is the way that you get a good culture, and clearly it's not. But it's, no, it's not. No, and I think anything. And you don't need infinite amounts of funds either. Um, you know, because at Mindweaver we don't have a. Yeah, we don't have a Google budget by any means, but what our teams do know is that you have, we have a real, you know, if you need something, you pick up the phone and we'll work through it together. You know, if you're not sure about what you can access, what you can't, or, you know, if you feel in a way, we'll talk about it. That That's that's the bit that matters. And I think that's the bit throughout my career that I've really lacked is someone that's just going, right, okay, what's going on? Like, let's work through this together. Are you struggling to sleep? Come on, let's yeah. figure this out. What are you feeling anxious? Let's figure out why. That's that's the bit that's really for me that I never had, and that and I think that's what makes you feel validated, and that's what makes yeah. you think that you're not you're not you know you're okay. It's it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to not be okay sometimes, and we're going to figure this out together. Yeah, and I, just to bring all this together, I want to um because again, I need to respect your time. We're running out of time. I just want to get. I remember one of someone I used to work with, Artif Bashir. We were talking about this, and going back to, I want to bring this full circle to Hannah's um, positively changing the future. So, generations in the in the in the yeah. future think, right? What did Hannah do? And um, I always remember, and this is for the listeners, really. Um, you could be a CEO, you could be just starting your career in HR. I remember Artif Bashir when we would, everyone was. I can't remember exactly where we were, but I think. We, everyone was talking about how they want to change the world. And I remember Artif just saying, all you need to do is treat the people around you in your teams really well. Yeah. And, and it was a, it was such a small but really important point on everyone that was there when he said it, because like, let's say you've got this like huge idea about the environment or plastics or, or anything, but at, that's the place to start, isn't it? Because Every day you will come across three or four other people and you've got a team that you maybe work with every day. It's like, start with them. Like, that's surely that, that they're the, the first steps, aren't they, Hannah? Because it can be overwhelming, yeah. all this stuff. Do you know what? It's um, it's really interesting you say that because I, the last organisation I was in, 
my team were I had probably the most diverse team in the organization right and people used to say I just treat my team the same and I've never ever treated my team all the same because my team were different and everybody's needs are different right yeah. um and I felt like a real failure because I have ADHD I'm not structured you know I'm not but what my team got was everything they needed they had the support they needed and I felt like a real failure because I was told you know you don't really drive change you're not very structured but upon leaving to even now my team still get what they need from me even though they're not my team anymore yeah. um, and they were like you know you were the best we've ever had and that means so much to me and it is it's just be what they need yeah. um and at that point, you know, a year or whatever ago, I I I didn't feel like I was the right leader. But now I know that I am. Yeah. Um, and it is breaking that mold around what actually, all, I guess, capitalism and white supremacy makes you think that you need to be just like this, like do do this, do what you're told. Yeah. Um, actually, it's humanity, it's care, it's about human leadership, it's about giving people what they what they need um and it's not treating everybody the same because people's needs are different and and i suppose that's the difference between equality and equity isn't it but that you're exactly. pl you're playing that out with your team and i i think it's the perfect place to end because the the whole subject here on freedom and acceptance if i had to summarize it would be for you to be a good leader you've had to accept yourself and how you lead uh, I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth. No, you right. Yeah. That's what I'm. That, that's my interpretation of what you've said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hannah, you have been an amazing guest as ever. I've learned Thank loads. You. Please go and follow Hannah on LinkedIn because I learn stuff every day, and I'm always thankful for the stuff that you share and the posts that you do, Hannah. Um, and I know you've got loads going in life, so the fact that you've taken time for me and our listeners it means a lot. Thank you, Matt.